This is Kincaid and Breckenridge, exclusively on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, welcome back. Uh, I'm Roger. That's Rob. This is a story now that's played out in uh, in our province, uh, and it's been a, a pretty big um, conversation on this radio station as well. That being the case against uh, the Stefans uh, failing to provide the necess- <clears throat> excuse me necessities of life uh, for their son Ezekiel. Ezekiel's uh, death much much publicized. He died of uh, meningitis. There's been much debate about whether it was bacterial or viral meningitis. Um, um, suggestions that he had one a medical examination report that he had the other and the course of treatment that his parents took and really um, frankly rob really awful reporting on this matter or not not the reporting but what was reported on is awful uh, things like the child being so ill uh, with meningitis so stiff that they couldn't get him in a car seat he had to be laid on a mattress in the back of the vehicle while they ultimately took him right, for his or final like a, a, yeah. a dropper had to be used to try to get liquid into him right. so he, he seemed as though he was pretty ill and look the autopsy found bacterial meningitis as the cause of death that was the working diagnosis when they finally brought him into the hospital uh, but again the point is that the, the family didn't seek to to find that out. They they didn't go to a doctor. They didn't go to a hospital to say, what are we dealing with here? Uh, is this bacterial? Do we need to, to start antibiotics? What, what are we dealing with here? What do we need to do? And and that was the issue I, that I think carried the day for the jury, uh, was that the, the parents didn't do everything they needed to do. There was a legal obligation here to get this child's uh, medical attention that he obviously couldn't get on his own, and, and they failed in, in that duty. So... Um, there's the strict legal matter of, of how the parents responded to the situation, what they did and didn't do, and the court has found them guilty. The judge will decide on their sentence, but there's probably a broader conversation that needs to be had here uh, around maybe the, the signals that we're sending to parents uh, about so-called alternative medicine. These parents uh, did seek input from a natural path and why that would be the case. And has the province, for example, inadvertently sent the message that maybe that's a legitimate option to go if you're looking for treatment for yourself or your child is, is to go see a natural path. Now, our next guest very concerned uh, that that's been happening in Alberta. Timothy Caulfield is Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy, also Trudeau Fellow and Professor, the Faculty of Law and School of Public Health at the University of Alberta, author of the book, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? Uh, Dr. Caulfield, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, my pleasure. Well, so much to talk about coming out of this trial, but your initial impressions on, on the verdict and, and kind of where we're at here today. Well, I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's an incredibly sad story, um, um, and no one wants to see uh, parents convicted, uh, for, especially when you, you get the impression they were trying to do the best that they could. Uh, but having said that, I do think from a conceptual perspective, this was the right decision. Um, they clearly were not providing their kid with, their child with uh, the, the uh, services that the child needed. And then this was largely based on, I think, a belief in pseudoscience. So I think it sends a really important message about pseudoscience, about the nature of the services that these uh, providers uh, give to the public. Uh, and I also think it's a, it's a sort of a warning sign to parents everywhere. Well, to that point, Tim, um, does this trial accomplish enough then? I mean, we've basically got a verdict rendered against the parents, but to me, the bigger question is where the buck stops. And now we've got to take into question the legitimacy of this particular naturopath who was uh, advising the parents, the the greater uh, college of, of naturopaths, and even the government for legitimizing them. 
Yeah, I agree with all, all of that. I am worried you know, that it's going to lead to a polarized debate. So that's sort of the bad news, right? When you have something like this, are the other parents can be viewed as martyrs, but for the sector of society that really believes in these in these providers, and and, and is that going to lead to you know a less than constructive debate? So that that could be a problem. But you're right. I also think we need to reflect on uh, the government regulation of naturopaths. You know, as you know, uh, when they were regulated in 2012, uh, Minister Horn, he was the Minister of Health then. He said when when they were regulated that that by regulating them, this is a signal to Albertans that what is provided by naturopaths is both safe and effective. And of course, that's simply not true. So I, I do think, I hope that we revisit the entire approach to these kinds of alternative practitioners. Well, let's talk about what naturopathy is, uh, because look, I mean, if, if I go see a naturopath and the naturopath says, uh, well, Rob, you should uh, eat well and exercise, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what, how do we define the practice? What is it? Yeah, I think this is really important because I think there may be a perception among some people that naturopathic uh, medicine, and I hesitate to use that second term, um, is really just primary care with an emphasis on natural remedies and an emphasis on prevention. That's not really what it is. It it is a a practice that is at its root, it has as a foundation supernatural beliefs, and and the primary one is nature cures, right? The healing power of nature. It's almost like there's a supernatural force in nature that helps us heal, and, and the role of the naturopath is to kind of provide remedies that allow that to, to occur. So that's an important thing to, to remember. Uh, but really, naturopathic medicine or na- uh, naturopathy is this constellation of, you know, it's a real grab bag of remedies that fall, that would align with that philosophy. And there's very little evidence to support a lot of what they provide. Now, we did a study of what was uh, what was advertised in Alberta and in BC, and the number one thing advertised in Alberta was homeopathy, which is complete bunk. It is complete complete pseudoscience. There's no, no, no argument within the real scientific community about the validity of that, of that practice. So I think people need to, to realize what naturopathic medicine is. Yeah, I mean, for, further to Rob's question a little bit, like we'll we'll get on the uh, on the air from time to time with say Dr. Yoni Friedhoff or, or somebody who will yeah. say who will come down at the end of an interview and say, look, I mean, to sum it all up, uh, get some sleep, eat healthy, exercise, you'll be okay. <laughs> and so, but I don't conflate that with his like understanding of modern medicine. To me, that's just some sort of sensible. Uh, data that we have. Uh, do people go to a naturopath getting advice and then conflating just generally good well tips on well-being? Yeah, I think that's exactly what occurs. Um, and there's even studies that conflate this. Yeah, so the naturopaths give sensible lifestyle advice. And, but the problem is it's often wrapped in this package of pseudoscience. You know, we all, if you go to a naturopath, I can guarantee almost every single human being will be, it'll be, for every human being, it'll be determined that they have some kind of susceptibility or some kind of sensitivity to food or some kind of allergy. So it's, it's sensible lifestyle advice, but you've got to avoid eggplant or it's sensible, sensible lifestyle advice, but you've got to do this kind of exercise uh, because they have to legitimize the advice that they give and then and, and 
try to give some kind of legitimacy to their broader philosophy. So I, I think that that is, is one of the confusing aspects of, of the story. And then from a policy perspective, we have to ask, you know, do we want to use, you know, this theater of placebo in order to provide sensible lifestyle advice? And I think that's a mistake because you want critical thinking citizens and, and this isn't helping. Right. And that, that's where we get into some really interesting ethical areas because people should be able to make informed choices. Uh, but if a consenting adult still at the end of the day wants to see a naturopath or even for that matter wants to see a faith healer, uh, I, I think we need to respect adults' choices. And then we have the whole other question, though, of whether it's ethical at all that, that naturopaths be treating children. Yeah, I think your first point is really is key, and, and I completely agree with that. Look, if people want to go see these practitioners, if it aligns with their worldview, I'm all, you know, fantastic. You know, that's, that's their choice. The key is that they have to be informed. And, you know, one of the things I, I always advocate is, you know, let's be honest about what the science says. Let's not, you know, misrepresent uh, the efficacy or, or the evidence supporting, uh, supporting these procedures. You know, they often, you know, provide things like IV therapy for everything from cancer to allergies, right? And there's just no evidence to support that. So if people are going in with their eyes open, they know what they're getting, you know, people should be able to make that, that decision. Uh, but then we start, start talking about treating kids and you start to, uh, talking about using these therapies for, you know, people who are really sick. It becomes a lot more ethically challenging and I actually think legally challenging. Well, yeah, look, I'm okay with Steve Jobs wanting to, you know, not get actual treatment and, and dying. I mean, if, if he felt like his right. innings were up, then that's who am I to stand in the way of him and eating fruit to try and cure his cancer. But, uh, but, but you know, in this case, I think it's pretty cut and dried. A one-year-old can't uh, comprehend what treatment is, and therefore we need somebody to make the right decisions for him. But what about cases where we have kids, you know, voluntarily, or, or at least so we're led to believe voluntarily, uh, uh, quitting chemotherapy so that they can go to Florida and drink fruit juice to try and cure what ails them? So if if the child is what in Canada it's called a mature minor, and they can make the decision for themselves. So, so in other words, if they're competent. Uh, then the courts may uh, not intervene. They may say, okay, this is something that, that a child can be part of the decision-making process and we're going to respect what they have to say. If you're comp- basically, if you're a competent adult, if you can make these decisions on your, on your own, then it's pretty rare that the court will step in. But when a child is in a situation where they're vulnerable and they, they can't make a decision on their, on their own, they're not competent in the eyes of the law, then the courts have what's called a parent's patriot jurisdiction, and they come in and try to do what's in the best interest of the child, and that makes sense. In many respects, that's kind of the philosophy that played out in this case, right? Mm-hmm. The court, they, they thought this was not in the best interest of the child. We've got to step in. We've got to send a message to all parents. And I think that's really what was going on with the Crown. Well, then what's the question there, then, if, if, if in this case case, is it that the parents failed to provide the necessities of life because the kid had meningitis or because they went and sought medical help from a naturopath? You know, I, I, it's, it's the combination, right? This was a, a, uh, an illness that was, is severe but treatable in conventional medicine. They made decisions that were clearly not in the child's best interest and in the eyes of the law crossed the, the line making it they weren't providing the necessaries for life. You know, so it was a combination of those two things. And that raises really interesting questions about, um, you know, what can naturopaths provide to kids? So, you know, can they provide other kinds of things that aren't, you know, less threatening, but that the, the problem then, of course, is do they have the skill set in 
order to to be able to identify when something is life-threatening and when something isn't life-threatening. And, and that's one of the reasons I have problems with the naturopaths regulating themselves. You know, do they even have the skill set to do that? And, you know, I think at a minimum, we need to have a conversation about that. Well, and, and that begs the question. It gets back to what Roger said at the outset about where the buck stops. If, if a parent makes a choice based on what they know and based on what, say, a naturopath has told them, can the parent really be held accountable? That, that where's the parent getting the information? And if the parent holds beliefs that are incorrect, is that the parent's fault? Yeah, and especially when you live in a jurisdiction where I, I think that pseudoscience is increasingly legitimized. You know, you see it you see it in the universities, you know, quackademics, as we often call it, where I don't think it's critically enough appraised, or at least not in a way that um, really transmits to the public how questionable these therapies are. We live in a jurisdiction where we have the government that seeming to legitimize these practices. You know, we have the Minister of Health saying things that seem to legitimize it. So I, I think it really does create an atmosphere that allows these kinds of things to happen, that allows these kind of beliefs to form. And I hope, I hope that this case, uh, if something good comes from, from this case, it's that we start re- revisiting all of that stuff, that entire package. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like some of that's happening. I know there, there's been pressure on the uh, Canadian Association of Naturopathic Doctors to respond, and they, they've said that they're investigating uh, this case or that the naturopath in this case. So something's happening on that front. I'll be interested to see what, what Alberta Health has to say about it. But yeah, I think you're right. There's, there's a broader conversation to be had. Yeah, for sure. And, and I like also to see it happening at the universities where universities speak out. I do think, you know, I've said this before, I think with you guys, you know, that we are, we're so always so cautious talking about about science in the context of health. You know, we don't do the same thing with engineering. We don't do right. the same thing with physics. And here, I think we've got to stop being so cautious. I understand there's cultural issues, there's personal sensitivities, but, but you know, we live in the age of science and let's start talking science in the context of health. Indeed. Tim Caulfield, great insight. Thank you for joining us here this Thank morning. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's uh, Timothy Caulfield uh, discussing with us the, the fallout from the, the verdict yesterday, the, the invariable fallout, which will be these conversations now uh, going forward about what's to be done about the pa- uh, practice of naturopaths in Alberta. Because I, I, I stand by what I said right at the very start of that, Rob. To me, the biggest question in all of this case, not about punishment for the family, but is about where does the buck stop? Because we live in a society that is very permissive of the kind of mistake that costs a one-year-old child his life. And that... We can't tolerate that. Look, it, it seems to me, I mean, you know, the parents themselves, or certainly the father, and, and he's got his own business involvement in so-called alternative health products, really seem to be a, a true believer. But I think when you look at this story, or a story like it that could arise, if, if someone has it in their head that, that going to a naturopath is a legitimate option to treat my child, my child seems ill, can't get in to see our family doctor, I'll go see this naturopath... So the duty on the naturopath. Should naturopaths even be allowed to treat children is, I think, a question that needs to be asked. But in this instance, the naturopath provided, as we understand, uh, some kind of natural remedy to the mother to be given to the child. She did not see the child, but told the mother to give this to the child. Was that responsible? Should she have said, you need to go find out what you're dealing with. You need to get this child to a doctor ASAP. That's what the response should have been. So it does seem as though there's a question here for the naturopath, uh, this Lethbridge naturopath that the mom went to see, and um, could that kind of an intervention have made a difference? Okay, now we're also not even bothering to ask the question, maybe it's because it's a, uh, you know, it doesn't matter anymore, 
about how this lunacy of giving a kid horseradish for any ailment ever came about in the first place. Like, the, if we connect the dots on this matter, there was a, a moment in time where a sick baby was being given onions and horseradish and maple syrup. Right, like, they ba- instead of consulting a physician, they basically consulted a salad bar on how to handle their sick child. Um, and that's also very, very tragic. But where does this type of thinking come from? And is it better for all of us if we stamp it out? I mean, make no mistake, this kid had something that was treatable. This death didn't need to happen. It certainly didn't need to, uh, his suffering certainly didn't need to play out the way it was. So there's a few questions in this, and we're going to take your phone calls after a quick break here. One of the questions is, what do we do about this pseudoscience, legitimizing pseudoscience in the province of Alberta and kind of in our society in general? And also what sort of punishment should come to the parents in this case now that they've been found guilty? 974-8255. You can text us as well, 770-770. We're back with more right after this. All right, nine seven four eight two five five again. You can text us seven seventy seven seventy. A lot of texts coming in on this, and there, there are a lot of different questions uh, I think uh, being explored here. Some people wondering what should happen to this couple. Uh, this one says this couple should spend twenty five years in prison. I think the maximum here would be five years. Uh, another one says no punishment. Their kid died. Uh, that doesn't teach them what could jail possibly teach them. That that really is the the worst punishment and and again these parents are not charged with murdering their child i think we have to believe that they love their child that they mourn the loss of that child they they just made really bad decisions yeah i think we're really going to get stuck in the glue here if we try to uh, you know figure out what the sentence on these parents should be um you know if you want to do more harm to the family i guess you could send them to jail they do have other children and I guess they might lose custody. Right. There's that question as well. But, you know, I, I sort of look back to the punishment that Robert Latimer was handed. Um, you know, he certainly loved his daughter and couldn't bear to see her live in, in uh, chronic suffering and made a, a, the decision that he did. These two aren't uh, parallel. These two aren't comparable. Uh, one is negligence. The other was, I argue, an act of love, uh, uh, if you can see it that way. But the point being that did Robert Latimer need to go to jail to make sure that he wasn't a risk to society or that he'd learned his lesson? No, it served absolutely no purpose. Yeah, so would it, would it serve a purpose here? I mean, you know, the, the, this is a violation of the criminal code, failing to provide the necessaries of life, and it carries with it a, a possible jail sentence. So the criminal code has recognized that with this kind of a charge, where you're not alleging there was a desire to bring harm to the child, you're, it still allows for jail time. So it's not enough to say, well, I'm mourning the loss of my child. That's enough. I think you need to look at, uh, you know, the totality of the case. Um, By the way, I want to say this, though, just because I think I kind of opened the door to it a second ago. Uh, If if your argument is that making um, uh, that sentencing the parents to prison sends a warning to other parents who would commit the same offense, right, who would fail to provide the necessaries of life for their child, then my argument right back at you is why don't you instead of putting a Band-Aid on it, like amputate, right? Why don't you then make it impossible for parents to, instead of seeking legitimate medical help, uh, go to a naturopath? 
Well, part of the problem, as has been pointed out to me here on Twitter, is that the parents still don't acknowledge they did anything wrong and believe they are victims of a conspiracy. They've stated as much. Their supporters stated that pretty plainly yesterday. So whether or not they go to jail, I think they're pretty convinced that the, the government is out to get them and that they didn't do anything wrong. So I, I don't know how we address that. All right, let's get to the phones here. And we'll have plenty of time for your phone calls on this segment. So if you've got a line, uh, please hang on to it. Uh, and we'll start with, with Jim, who's called into News Talk 770. Hi, Jim, go ahead. Hey, I, yeah, I just want to know how come the naturopath himself, himself or herself, herself. isn't taken to tell, taken to task? I mean, if they're going to be prescribing orange juice and banana peels to deal with meningitis, maybe they should be taken to task and and, and let us understand why they, what makes them think that they can they can prescribe this that this is the cure for, for uh, meningitis or whatever illness that a child has. Well, I, certainly, yeah. I, I think that, that needs to be investigated. I think we need to investigate the practices of naturopath. Are they treating children? What are they, they prescribing to parents to give to sick children? And uh, if, if this is commonplace, I think the province needs to step in. Now, we, we have learned this week the College of Naturopathic Doctors of Alberta uh, has says it's going to look into uh, this whole matter. So there, there may be that investigation that takes place but i don't know if that's going to get to the heart of the matter well i just kind of also disagree with you guys that that uh to me there's no difference between putting a gun to this child's head and pulling the trigger okay, I well, mean, can i explain to you what the difference is jim because that's quite a vulgar thing to say well i'm just saying when you put I'm a gun to some, when you put a gun to the head of a child if you point a gun at anything you should have the intention of shooting that thing whatever it might be if it's a right. target and, and or if it's a deer taken, in the meadow and not taking a 1 year old to a doctor that that has proven science. Well, in, hang on, Jim. Jim, hang on a second. Because this is things. this is a problem. We can't be vindictive in this. We have to be constructive it's in this same. approach. No, it's not the same, Jim. And that's a ridiculous statement. If you hear it said back to you, do you think that the parents didn't take this child to see a general practitioner, a medical doctor, because they had a, a they were taking a malicious approach to the welfare of their kid? We hung up. This, I'm sorry, but that's a, like I, I've got a thousand and one things to say to this uh, to, about this situation. But that the parents murdered their child is not one of them. They no. did not act out of malice in this situation. They simply were brainwashed to believe something that is a complete fiction, and that is that naturopathy can cure uh, illnesses. Well, if we really believe that, then we should have had that conversation months ago when the Crown brought these charges forward to say, how dare you not charge these parents with first-degree murder? That was never an option, and that would have been preposterous to do so. There are clear legal distinctions here between all of this, and we need to understand what, what the issue was at hand here, uh, that the parents failed in their legal duty to, to, to get this child the medical attention he needed. Now, on the other hand, you've got uh, people saying, some of the texts saying, well, gee, you know, I mean, uh, so am I obligated now by law? Should I worry about the police coming to get me if I don't take my child? My child's got sniffles or a cough. And uh, well, of course not. I mean, that's that's preposterous. If you believe your kid has a cold and is manifesting symptoms of a cold, uh, that's something every parent has to deal with. If your parent, if your child is not getting better, if your child is getting worse and exhibiting more serious symptoms, and it had been suggested to these parents that this seems like meningitis, that you should seek medical attention. We've got a resource in Alberta called HealthLink where you can call and talk to a health professional and say, here's what we're dealing with. I'm not sure what this is. Should I bring my child in to see a doctor? Any of these things. If, if the Stefans had done that, if they had called HealthLink, 
even just called Healthlink. Said, here's what we're, we're dealing with. What do you think we should do? This verdict might not have happened. We're going to pause for the news to 1030. If you've got a phone line, uh, hang on to it. The lines are full, uh, and we will get to your phone calls after this news break. You're listening to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Happy lunch, friends and neighbors. Happy lunch to you all. I'm Roger. It's Rob. Soup today is a French onion. And we're going to talk, by the way, about something that rhymes with soup. Yes. Segway. And that is... Wait a second. You're right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're going to talk about poop and where it goes, where you put it. Your dogs, that is. Or really, I guess, any pet that you might be walking in public that would uh, otherwise um, uh, defecate on public or private property. It is your obligation, your duty as an owner of said animal to collect that excrement and place it in an appropriate receptacle. Now, the question becomes, Rob Breckenridge, what type of receptacle is appropriate? Now, let's say that my I'm walking my dog near your house, Rob Breckenridge, and my dog uh, has, a, has a poop. And then I, along with the 50 others that I am carrying with me right now, I put them all in your garbage can out behind your home. Is that acceptable? Well, hmm... I guess it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it should be, I suppose. In, in theory, I, I shouldn't have any real serious objection to it. But, you know, it, it reminds me of the, the the discussion we had recently about parking on the road in front of someone's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you technically don't own that road, but you more or less feel like you do. Right. You feel that you should have that curb available to you because it's in front of your property and therefore should be allowed to park there. Now, now the city will be pretty quick to tell you that's not your land. That's public property. That's property of the city. And any citizen can use that land to park their car. Now, there's some rules that go around that. There are some bylaws about how uh, long that vehicle can be there, that it has to be insured, et cetera, et cetera. But the point is, is that's city of Calgary property. And as such, anybody can use it. Now, interestingly, Rob, if you are looking at the side of that black garbage bin that's in the alleys uh, throughout this city, you'll notice uh, it has a, a pretty similar trait to that strip of asphalt in front of your house. It is also property of the city of Calgary. So does that then make it okay for somebody who is walking their dog to pick up, collect their dog's uh, uh, refuse in a bag, and then toss it in that black bin? Uh, opinion is, uh, shall we say, rather divided on this question. <laughs> Uh, and uh, there, there's quite a debate raging on Facebook. You wrote a blog post about it. Uh, people can find that at our page at newsdoc770.com. Uh, real divided opinion on this because some people think, well, sure, why not? It's garbage. There's a garbage can there. This, the garbage can technically belongs to the city. I'm just going to put it in there. Others say, that's mine. You have no right to put your <laughs> stuff in my garbage. Now, I do want to answer your question, though which is uh, uh, what people are getting very wound up about this, and it's happening on our Facebook page, and why we're asking it and why, and why we're talking about it. And some people have even commented on the Facebook page to say, boy, this is a first-world problem. Get over it. Well, the problem is the response that some people have to having dog poop tossed into their black bins. Some people get downright militant. There are confrontations that happen over this matter. And so, yeah, it's a first-world problem, but it is a problem nonetheless. Granted, no one's starving to death here. No one's dying because of this issue. 
But I'll tell you something. If you're a pet owner and you feel like you're doing the right thing by cleaning up after your pet and then tossing it in the garbage can that's uh, standing there in the alleyway, uh, it can be quite a shock when someone comes screaming out of their house or somebody puts up a vulgar sign on that garbage bin instructing you to please not do this in the future. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is the more preferable problem. If the problem is people aren't cleaning up after their dog, I think we'd, we'd sooner have this problem than, than that one. All right, let's, let's go to the phones, 974-8255, where Stephen is called in to be on News Talk 770. Stephen, what do you think of this? Well, um, I have a, a smaller dog. Uh, her droppings are quickly picked up by the magpies in the backyard, so that's not an issue. It's these people that have the Great Danes. They leave, uh, you know, uh, quite a large... All right, it's, a, it's an issue of volume, sure. ...garbage yeah. can. I don't like that. So okay. don't do it. But can you explain, Stephen, why you don't like it? Like, what is it that, that you don't like? It's mere presence, or is there an effect that, that perturbs you? Well, they're not always sealed. I mean, people will, might scoop it up, say, in a hanky, uh, a Kleenex, uh, you know, on a paper bag, say, and they just throw it in. And, you know, I've opened my, my garbage can up to see it's smeared down the side. And in a, in a, on a 30-degree day, that, uh, that tends to smell. I don't want, to, I don't want that. Okay. Uh, does your, what does your garbage can otherwise smell like? Does it, does it otherwise smell, you say? Yes. Uh, no. No, not like dog crap. No. <laughs> okay. No, good phone call, Stephen. Thank you very much for, for, for taking part. Uh, nine seven four eight two five five. I'll tell you flat out, Rob. I'm one of these people who picks up my dog's uh, uh, poop and then puts it in the nearest garbage can, and it's very often a black uh, a black garbage a bin. Is that right? Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, if you're out in a park, you should find a, a garbage can, and that's going to be a, again a public, a city owned garbage bin, and uh, you know that that refuse might leave a, a lingering smell afterward. All right, well, let's get the, the, the word from the law on this matter. Paula Magditch joins us right now, manager of collection services, uh, waste and recycling services. Paula, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here because th- we're calling this hashtag poop gate. <laughs> and we got, we got to figure out which way's up on the, on the matter. But I've just, I've just told you what my practice is. If I'm walking with my dog uh, down an alleyway in my neighborhood and she uh, uh, you know, leaves a gift for me, I will pick that up. And I will throw it in the nearest garbage receptacle. Am I in violation of any city bylaws? Well, as you said a little bit earlier, it's uh, better than not picking it up at all because, of course, we don't want to leave animal waste on the ground. Um, but we do encourage um, Calgarians and residents not to place their waste, um, including their dog poo, in other people's um, waste containers. So that could include a cart, a front end loader bin, or even a roll off container. So you, you discourage that? We do not encourage. Not we encourage. encourage it. So we do have a section in our waste and recycling bylaw that um, is meant to address this. And uh, basically it um, says that no person shall deposit waste or recycle material into waste containers, recycling containers, commercial bins, um, etc., without the consent um, of the owner of that property or the occupant. So really, this is largely a good neighbor issue. Um, it's about, you know, being considerate, thinking about um, the person who owns that container or who is in the care of that container. So in the case of the black cards, they are a property of the city of Calgary, but they're assigned to an address, and the person who lives at that address is responsible for taking care of it. Um, so really, you should have the permission before you place um, 
dog poo or any other kind of waste into that container. So you should have permission, but if you don't, you're not necessarily in, in violation of, of anything. Well, that section of the bylaw um, does require that you don't put it into a waste container, a recycling container, or a commercial bin. So then you would be in violation oh, okay. of that section. Uh, what's the penalty for that? Uh, the penalty is a $250 fine. Um, you know, enforcement um, can be difficult in these kinds of situations. Um, I suppose if someone drove up in their car and you had a license plate number, um, then you may be able to identify who had uh, placed that material in your cart. Um, but really, we try and focus primarily on awareness and education with residents and Calgarians and encouraging them to be a, a good neighbour. Let's suggest that every every Calgarian uh, listening to this interview right now said, well, then I, I don't want to be a, a bad neighbor. I'm going to not put uh, my dog's poop in these black bins anymore. Are there any negative consequences that, that you think might come of that? Well, um, I don't think so. I mean, I have a dog, and when I walk my dog and clean up after it, I carry the contents of the bag home with me and put it in my own container. Um, if you happen to be at um, some of the uh, dog parks, there are containers provided. So really, I would suggest that the best alternative for folks is to use an appropriate container, either their own or one that is, uh, say, for example, in the dog park. What's the fine, by the way, for not cleaning up after your dog? I do not know that answer. Um, that's, oh, okay. I'm not sure which bylaw that's actually in. It, it could be found at uh, online, though. Uh, at calgary.ca. Yeah, okay. right, yeah. yeah, all right. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. Uh, by the way, uh, thank you so much, Paula. We appreciate the insight today. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. All right, take care. That's Paula Magdus. She is the uh, manager of collection services for waste and recycling services. I think I know what you're getting at, Rob. Like, if it's 250 bucks, if I get caught putting it in the garbage, how much is it if I just leave it on the ground? I'd sooner take that fine. <laughs> If it's less, right? <laughs> well, that'd be ironic, wouldn't it, if you actually would get in less trouble for just not picking it up at all? Uh, maybe that's that's uh, something we should look into. Why don't we take a, a break here, though? We'll, we'll explore some of that. We'll have more time for your calls here, 974-8255. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Well, apparently we've uh, uncovered that it's uh, only a $150 fine for not cleaning up after your dog. So that would be a less severe penalty than cleaning up after your dog and putting it in someone's black bin. Seems backwards to me. <laughs> See, whatever um, I, I, I come across a law or a bylaw, I, w I want to test it just by, you know, with the theory. What is the purpose of this? And you can do that with most laws. You know, you can say, well, you know, like, I mean... It's illegal to break and enter into someone's house and steal their stuff. It's not too hard to figure out why that's on the books. But, you know, as we do from time to time on the show, Rob, we'll, we'll examine things like marijuana legislation and go, well, what's the point of having this law? I mean, mm -hmm. there's a victimless crime and, you know, consenting adults, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. What I want to know is what is the grand harm in a dog walker put, picking up their dog's feces and putting it uh, in someone's black bin about behind their home? Now, I understand the idea that if you leave that dog poop in the playground, then it can be a contaminant and can make somebody sick, a kid, if they come along and play with it or put it in their mouth or something like that. But, I mean, to pick it up as a responsible pet owner and then throw it in something that is designed to take stuff that people are throwing out, a lot of times that's food waste, which can be diseased product in and of itself. Um, 
what's what's the explanation? Well, of the and is it specific, is it a poop thing specifically? If I'm walking down your street eating a bag of chips and I'm done with the bag of chips and I throw the wrapper in your garbage, is that just as egregious, or is it something about the the nature of the the trash? All right, this is Rob on line one. Hi, Rob. Go ahead. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, yeah, regarding the black bins, I, I don't know. I guess I kind of look at it as a unwritten rule, similar to uh, parking in front of your home. You know, I look at it, even though the people don't pay for the black bin, I, I do consider it to be there. Uh, so I don't, you know, as the one lady who your guest had mentioned, she picks up after dog and takes it home. Uh, I do the same thing. Right. Uh, thanks very much for the call, Rob. Appreciate it. I think Rob is uh, currently buying plastic bags with which to pick up dog food. Yeah. Interesting. Hi, Rick. How you doing? Good. Hey, I got one for you. When you got little kids and you've got disposable diapers, all right? Yeah, you're supposed to dump the poop into the toilet before you throw the diaper out. So I'm kind of wondering why we're allowed to throw dog poop into a garbage can. What? Are you talking about you're talking about reusable diapers or disposable diapers? Disposable diapers. I don't know. As far as I'm aware, those just go right in the trash. I remember we had yeah. the the diaper genie. You put the the dirty diaper in the diaper genie. You twist the bag up uh, to try to contain the smell. But no, the poop uh, goes in the trash. You you you. Well, I raised five kids, and I've heard this before. They, they, you're you're supposed to actually dump the feces into the toilet. And then throw the diaper out. I can't handle this kind of stress, uh, Rick. This is why I didn't have any kids. Thanks very much. By the way, the diaper genie ruined uh, both the movie Aladdin and the TV series I Dream of Genie for me. <laughs> never, not, never the same thing. Hey, Wayne, thanks for the call. What do you think? Hi, bud. Um, I, I don't mind them uh, putting dog feces or in a bag or, or picking up garbage in the alley and putting it in my garbage bin. My only concern is if they start putting illegal stuff in, like dumping used oil in there, or batteries, or tires, or something. Right, that's a good point. Um, it's it, you know, all the rest of it, they're just cleaning up the neighborhood. That's great. Well, here's yeah, you're kind of getting to my take on this, Wayne. Is that I don't have a problem with people putting um, you know their garbage in in my garbage bins out behind my home. Um, but I have a, I don't have the same problem a lot of people have. I mean, my house is just two people. We rarely fill that thing up on a weekly basis. But if, yeah, if somebody wanted to grab my garbage bin, clean up the alley and use my trash can for it, I don't think I would have an issue with that. No, I mean, that's, that's a good thing. And, and keeping the neighborhood clean. Um, my neighbors even use my trash bin occasionally because theirs is too full, which is fine. It's better than leaving it on the ground and having it scattered from one end to the other. All right. Thanks very much, Wayne. Really appreciate that. And some people are pointing out that the previous caller pointing out that no feces can go in a garbage can, be it dog or other. Uh, there, there's a bylaw about that. Now, there's also a bylaw that says, like, you can't throw animal waste out. Like, if you had, like, a, a if your dog died, for example, or your cat died, you couldn't put it in the garbage. Some people right. might seek right. to do this. You're not allowed to do that. But if I have a dead chicken, I can throw that in the garbage. Right? Like, if, if, if I... If I Go buy a living chicken, kill it, throw it in the garbage. That's no good. But if I go buy a dead chicken at a grocery store, I can throw that in the garbage to my heart's content. Yeah, it's weird. But I've done that a few times where we've rented uh, like a big garbage bin because we're doing some, you know, some spring cleaning. And they're very insistent. You know, no animal carcasses shall go in this, this dumpster. So don't even think about it. At least not full. Like if you butcher it, though. If you pay good money to have it slaughtered and dressed and butchered, you could throw out the individual steaks all you want. Right. Yes. <laughs> hey, Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, that guy on earlier who was saying, my dog's little poos get sucked up by the magpies. <laughs> yeah, they, poo yeah. is poo. And 
doesn't matter what size your dog is. It's it's annoying all around. Right. So that's one part. The other part is the the whole entire two hundred and fifty dollar fine for using a dog for putting stuff in other people's bins. That's to cover everything, right? Because like I've had my neighbor dump in you know four garbage bags worth of stuff in my bin, and I don't really care because it, it fits in my bin. But if it overflows in my bin and the the, the uh, garbage guy gets upset at me because of my neighbor's stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why it's really there for. I, I think this is I think this is a non issue and I think all those people who get all frustrated with you putting their little bit of dog poop in the bin are just not good citizens. Hey, cool. Kyle, thanks very much for the phone call. There Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for that call. It's uh, gee, I don't know. That'll be the last time word, here. yeah. Uh, okay, go for it. Yeah. We'll be quick. Okay, quick. Derek, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I think it's not a big deal the dog poop going in there, but it just leads to next it's gonna be a propane bottle and next it's gonna be tires. And when it comes down to commercial bins, it's all charged back by weight. All right. No, I mean, it's, and uh, you're not gonna get a, you're not gonna get a whole bunch of weight in dog poop, but it starts there. I uh, you know that's a good point, Derek. Thanks. It's a slippery slope. I mean we're gonna have people walking down the alley with their barbecues and a oh shot of propane tank. You're like, ah, just pick that up and toss it in that one over there. I thought he, I didn't realize that was the slippery slope he was on. I thought he was going to say, next thing you know, there's going to be some guy walking his elephant. <laughs> well, it could be that, too. Uh, that's where we're going to leave it for today. Daniel Smith will be in following the 1230 News, and uh, we'll be back following the 930 News uh, tomorrow morning. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Roger Kincaid and Rob Breckenridge, weekdays starting at 930 a.m. on News Talk 770 Calgary.